0: on now it's on now okay. all righty i have this gift i can mess up any pa system <laughs> anywhere in the world just by looking at it the good news is there are no pa systems in heaven so pa people are the only people who get eternity off <laughs> that's great So I've got a a couple of things uh, that I want to give away. Um, This is a a book I wrote just a few weeks ago. It's called Radical Perceptions. It's uh, brilliant thoughts for an amazing life. So we're in the business, uh, certainly in Vacaville anyway, but I think around the world of really learning to think the way that God thinks. You know, so the mind of Christ, back off. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh my Lord.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, it went right through my teeth. <laughs> so, we're in the business of really learning what the mind of Christ is all about. You know, it is the most unique, the most amazing, the most profound, the most brilliant way of thinking ever. And the way that Jesus thinks about life and kingdom and everything is so astonishing. It literally transforms who you are. Transformation comes by the renewing of the mind. So this is uh, 52 amazing thoughts, one for each week of the year. And there are questions that go with them that help you to meditate on those things and so on. So who was born on... September the 9th. So, show your book. All righty. Oh. This is the, uh, this is the third part of a devotional, a devotional soaking series. The whole idea behind them is that they have a, um, a CD. Come out. Thank you. <laughs> I have a CD with six prophetic words on. Uh, this one is about thinking with God. So this is six prophetic words about how God thinks about you and how he wants you to think. Yeah? And then each of those prophetic words is written down in a book, again, that has questions, uh, that, things that help you to actually journal so that you can start the process of becoming like that. So this is the third one in the series. The other two are out there as well. The first one is Becoming the Beloved, which is six prophetic words about how much God loves you and why. And uh, so the whole idea is that you're having a devotional time and God's talking to you. And the second one in the series is Living the Upgraded Life, which is something that God has planned for all of us. So this one is Thinking with God. Uh, Who was born on June the 1st? (laughs) Close, but no cigar. (laughs) June the 1st. Anybody? June 2nd? June 2nd. It's got to be yours. You're so welcome. So, my wife, uh, Teresa, why don't you stand up, sweetie, Let's see how beautiful you are. (laughs) So, uh, uh, Teresa has a a jewelry business in which she's focused on uh, three different kind of women's groups around the world. These women... Uh, come from uh, impoverished backgrounds, uh, where they're unemployed, some have been abused, some uh, trafficked, uh, some just in w- war zones and you name it. And these women are really using uh, creative means to sustain their own communities. Their whole passion is to make enough money, not just for themselves and their own family, but for the community. You know for schooling and and so on health education and so on and um, so she's selling jewelry from uh, South Africa from Kenya and from uh, Chile so uh, I know that you know the story behind these women is they found Christ filled with the Holy Spirit they're using all kinds of creative means just to sustain who they are and impact the community I know that they would say, don't buy the jewellery because you feel sorry for us, because we don't feel sorry for ourselves. Don't even buy the jewellery because you want to support who we are and what we're doing, that that would be good. Buy it because you think it's beautiful. Yeah? So, uh, there's some great jewellery back there. So, um, girls, if you want to go and look at the jewellery as well, we'll let you. Yeah. But I'm really talking to the guys here tonight. You know, because there's some great stuff out there. And fellas, you never know when you're going to need some extra protection. You know, when uh, you you do the next time you do something stupid and you know, there'll be a next time because we're not in heaven yet. So not everything works for us. So the next time your wife puts her hand on her hip and gives you the look that takes you back to when you were a six-year-old and you hadn't cleaned your room properly, that look, you can just say, Darling, jewellery. It'll work. It used to work for me until Teresa started her own jewellery business. Now I have to think of something else. So, if we have any uh, women here, any woman here who was born on February the twelfth, all righty. And if it's if it's not your style take it to the table and Teresa will change it for you okay so that'll be cool yeah hey yeah now you dude you still gotta buy some <laughs> says the Lord <laughs> because he knows brother he knows <laughs> so let's pray quick <laughs> Holy Spirit, thank you. You are so welcome here. We, we just love who you are. We love the fact that Jesus is Lord over the church and that you're Lord in it. We love the fact that he's in heaven standing before the Father and he ever lives to make intercession for us and that he loves to pray for us with a smile on his face And here you are on earth, and you groan in intercession for us. That's because you know us. (laughs) So, thank you for groaning on our behalf. And we apologize for making you groan. (laughs) But we thank you that it is your privilege... To take all the things that belong to Jesus and show them to us. Then to establish those truths as a reality in our life so that we become like him. So you're so welcome here this evening. Come and do what you do best. Come and inspire us. Come and touch us. Come and breathe on us. Come and brood over us. Help us to think differently. Touch our hearts. And renew us. And refresh us in Jesus name and for his sake amen you know all of life in the spirit is paradoxical a paradox is two apparently conflicting ideas contained in the same truth so the bible says you have to die to live it's a paradox it's both and yeah we're not in a paradigm anymore a paradigm is a one dimensional reality So the Old Testament was a paradigm. The New Testament is a paradox. A paradigm is a one-dimensional reality where only one thing can happen at a time. Now here we are living in a New Testament, uh, new covenant with Christ in us. And that changes the dynamic of everything. The Bible says that we are a new creation. Um, What does that mean? It means we are a race of people that were never seen in the earth before Jesus. So in the Old Testament, there were one race of people across the earth. These are a people who could live in a, in a visitation culture because God could come and he could come on people and he could change them by coming on them. So, that, so we were a people who could live by visitation. God came, he left. He came, he left. He came, he left. a visitation culture he could come upon you but he never lived in you so Jesus when he came he came as a quickening spirit he came as the second Adam the Bible says uh, in order to bring life not just bring life to us but to put that life on the inside of us so post resurrection a whole new creation arose in the earth of people who now had God living inside them. So now we are, a visit, we are a habitation culture because we are a habitation of God by the Spirit. That's a whole different people group, right? So you are a new creation, a race of people never seen in the earth before Christ. You're a different proposition. So now we have moved from a visitation culture into a, and a paradigm into a habitation culture, which is now a paradox. Because now you've got God living inside of you, and now we're having to learn to live with God in a completely different way. A paradox is two apparently conflicting ideas contained in the same truth. So you have to die to live, you have to give to receive... You have to be last to be first. And the church is described as a paradox. It's described as a building and as a body. Can't get more paradoxical than that. A building is rigid, inflexible, unmovable. Aren't you glad? Because if this building started moving, we'd all be crying earthquake. Right? So the building is, so there's a part of our life and our spirituality that's rigid, inflexible, unmovable. But we're also a body which is fluid, flexible, always changing. So how can we be both at the same time? I hear you ask. (laughs) How can we be rigid yet fluid? How can we be uh, unchanging yet always changing? How can we be inflexible but totally flexible at the same time. That's a paradox. That's who we are. So the, the church as a building, rigid, and inflexible, unmovable, talks about who we are for each other. The fact that God is unchanging. That means he's pretty rigid. What does it mean when God says, I, I am the Lord, I change not. It means this is who I am, and I don't want to be anybody else. This is who I am, this is who I will always be, I am unchanging. So you always know exactly where you are with God, because He never changes. That means that He is the same towards you on your worst day, as He is on your best. Because He never changes. So we are learning how to be as unchangeable as Him. So church as a building really talks about our being, who we are, that our love for each other is rigid, inflexible, non-negotiable. Yeah? So if I'm, um, I'm going to use Blaine as my visual aid. So if, uh, so if Blaine and I are really getting on well, we don't need to be gracious to each other. We never even think about it. I don't think about him in that... I wouldn't think about him in that sense of... Oh, shoot. Got to go meet Blaine today. Got to go and meet Brent today. I mean, you know... When we're getting on well, we don't think about the need to be gracious or loving or kind. We just be it. Yep. Amen. But if he and I had a difficulty, then we have some choices to make. Yeah? So we are learning how to be for each other on a bad day exactly the same as we are on a good day. We're unchanging. See, the thing is, we can't be changeable in our affections and say that we're being Christ-like. Because that doesn't work. Yeah? So if we're going to be Christ-like, we have to be as unchanging as He is. That means our love for each other is non-negotiable. the way we love each other the way we stand up for each other the way we support each other it's the same you do the same for me when I'm being brilliant you do the same for me when I'm absolutely being an idiot you don't change that's what it means that's the church as a building rigid inflexible unmovable, so that we honor each other, we support each other, we love each other. We will definitely talk to each other in interesting ways, but our love for each other is non-negotiable. Yeah? We don't drop each other, we don't kill each other, we don't stab each other in the back. Our love for to you, you be you want to be loving somebody else the way that you would like to be loved yourself. Here's the thing about love. Whatever you sow, you reap. So think about that, eh? If you want to be loved brilliantly, then you need to be loving Brilliant. brilliantly. There you go. And the church as a body is fluid, flexible, always changing. And that relates to our ministry. It relates to our vision. The vision constantly changes because we change. Right? Right? The ministry constantly changes because we're always being upgraded. We're always being increased. We're always being expanded. Therefore, the vision, the work, the ministry, it's always changing. It's always being adjusted. Yeah. So the vision never stays the same. It has to change when we change. And when more people come into our church from outside, they're going to change the vision too. Because they'll bring extra flavors and everything else into what we do. And that's pretty cool. Because um, the vision for the house is set by God through the hearts of the people, not just through the hearts of the leadership. Yeah? We're all sheep. Right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're all sheep. and, And we're all part of the vision. And God uses all of our passions... To serve the community. So he pours himself into us, then he pours himself through each of our hearts. And so vision really in the house is about each one of us understanding what the individual call of the people around us is, so that we can actually support them, so that we can applaud them, so that we can stand with them, so that we can find ways and places of moving together and so the vision constantly expands. Everything we do is a paradox and you find that paradox too in your own personal relationship with God. So <clears throat> here we are then, we have God living on the inside of us and so we have this paradox now of we have what we were like before Christ and now suddenly he's taken up residence. That's like having a big house and a lodger, right? It's like having someone come and make their home in your heart, which is what Jesus has done. And now we have this life of Christ on the inside of us, and we have us. (laughs) And so we have this paradox. So the Bible describes it as old nature and new nature. Yeah? Now the great thing here about uh, the work of God is that the old nature is dead. Yeah? Yeah? so nudge your next door neighbor and say you look dead to me so your old nature is your old nature is dead okay I think some of you just took that a stage step too far (laughs) you're dead and you smell I, I didn't actually say tell you to say that so here's the thing the paradox for you spiritually is that a part of your life is already a finished work. But another part of it is an ongoing work that's clearly not finished. Yeah? So, the finished part of you is the old nature. It's dead. Yeah? Your old nature is dead. God is not going to resurrect it. You're not allowed to raise it from the dead in any way, shape or form. Neither is your wife or your husband. There's a part of you that is a finished work. Your old nature is dead. It's in the ground. It's buried. It's got a personal headstone. There is no possibility of it coming back. And God says to you in Romans 6.11... Consider yourself dead, but alive to me. So the finished part of the work of God in you is that you're dead. Jesus came to deal with your old nature. The Bible says that um, God dealt with sin once and for all, which means... He's not dealing with your sin anymore. It's dead. He's not resurrecting a corpse. Right? He's not dealing with your... Why would God deal with your old nature and tell you that it's dead at the same time? Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense to anybody. It certainly doesn't make sense to the Lord. Because he's not a schizophrenic. So he wouldn't say to you, you consider this dead. Oh, but I'm dealing with your old nature. So when God puts his finger on a part of your life that's not working, he is um, inviting you into the site of your next miracle. He's saying, we're, dealing, we're going to bring some life into this area. So we're in Christ, we're dead, we're learning to be Christ-like, we're learning to be alive in Him. The role of Jesus was to kill off the old nature. The role of the Holy Spirit is to establish your new nature. So everything that God is doing in your life, He is not working with your old nature, it's dead. He's working with your new nature, right? So God is not dealing with your sin. He's establishing your righteousness. Right? He's establishing your righteousness. So everything he's doing, so when he puts his finger on a part of your life that's not working, he's not bringing condemnation in that area because he knows it's already dead. But the thing is, we don't have a sin nature anymore. We have a sin habit. There are some things that we've learned over the years and now that we're in Christ we're learning how to stop doing those things because we've done them so long it's almost second nature. And what God is doing He's dealing with the residue He's dealing with the habit that we've had of always thinking this way of always behaving this way that when we're under pressure under threat we push back. you know, We react but we're learning not to react we're learning to respond. Yeah. So when he puts his finger on a part of your life that's not working, he's actually saying to you that I have something for you in this area. Yeah. He's not when God looks at you, he doesn't see what's wrong with you. He sees what's missing from your relationship with him. And he's absolutely committed to giving you that. Yeah? So he's dealing with your new nature. He's establishing who you really are. Yeah? So therefore, when God puts his hand on a part of our life that's not working, we're really excited. Yeah? Because God is saying to us, I've got something for you in this area. I'm going to take away from you the thing that you don't like and don't want and I'm going to give you something you've been crying out for. Yeah? So I'm going to give you some righteousness in this area. i am come to give you life. Jesus didn't say, I have come that you might have meetings and have them more abundantly. He said, I have come that you might have life. So when he puts his finger on a part of your life that's not working, he's got some life to give you. Because he's already done the death thing. Now he's giving you the life thing. Yeah? So there is a part of our walk with God that is a finished work. That's the old nature. But there's a part of our life that is an ongoing work, Because we're learning how to grow up in all things in Christ. Now here's the thing. When God puts his finger on a part of your life that's not working, he doesn't say, let's fix this. He says, lay it aside. You lay aside the old nature. You don't work on it. He doesn't want to give you, throw you a quick CD with five, met, five ways of dealing with your anger problem. <laughs> he just looks at you and says, you don't have an anger problem, you're dead. <laughs> what you have is that you haven't discovered yet how to be gentle. Yeah? When he's dealing with your frustration He doesn't throw you a book 14 ways of how not to be frustrated He says to you You're not frustrated You're dead What I'm dealing with now Is your patience If you had patience You wouldn't be frustrated So I don't want to deal with your frustration I want to give you some patience Yeah. Always he's dealing with our new nature Who we really are in Jesus He's dealing with your true self Your real self in Christ So the Holy Spirit is always energized when he talks to you Because he's only dealing with what is good He's looking at you thinking Brilliant, let's deal with this next Yeah? So when he puts his finger on something, says, I want to deal with this, you're going, that would be so cool. Yeah? It's like somebody coming to your house and saying, I want to remodel your kitchen for free. Of course, you're going to sit there and say, well, I'm not really sure about that. A new cooker, brand new fridge, I don't know. I don't know what new countertops a new floor new everything I don't know I'm gonna have to pray about this (laughs) in a pig's eye you'll think like that you'll be saying here's the keys to my house (laughs) when God comes to your life and he touches a part of your life he's saying I am absolutely committed to remodeling this area and making it completely new. And no, we're not just going to change out a few things. God doesn't want to fix you. Because you were too bad to be fixed. You had to be destroyed. (laughs) You were too bad to cleanse. You had to be crucified. He ain't trying to fix you. He's already killed you. He is, not in the, he is not resurrecting your old man. So neither are you. Yeah? This is where we become Christ-like. I know, you are so dead, I'm telling you. Let me read you something from the Bible. I know, I know, I know. We're all excited. Brilliant. So, let me read you from Ephesians 4, verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference... To your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth." Paul liked that so much, he gave the same message to the guys at Colossus in chapter 3, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self, with its evil practices and you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man but Christ is all and in all So, as those who have been chosen of God and are therefore holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. And that Greek word there for anyone, it means... Anyone. Thank you. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all those things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Imagine that, being called to be peaceful. What does that mean? No more worry. No more anxiety, no more fear, peace instead. Yeah? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's your true nature. That's your real self. That's who you are right now in Jesus. There's a finished work in you that's already done, already complete. You're dead. You're buried. No possibility of resurrection. We ain't bringing that sucker back out of the ground. (laughs) But you're a new creation. All the old things have passed away and everything has become new. You're a new man. And what you're learning is how to stay a new man. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. You discover the person you already are in Christ and you behave accordingly. When we speak the truth in love, we're not calling each other out on our stuff. There is a difference between that which is true and that which is the truth. Now the Bible says that the truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So when you're speaking the truth in love... You are telling people who they are in Jesus. You're not telling people what you don't like about them and then tacking on the end of it, and I'm saying this in love, brother. You lying little toad. It may be true... It may be true that a person has a bad temper, but the truth is, they're a new creation in Christ. So when we speak the truth in love to people, what we are saying to them is, hey man, you can't be doing that because this is who you are. You're a new creation. You're a new person. You have a new nature. You can't be doing that. That's old stuff. That stuff died, remember? You can't be doing that anymore. This is who you are. We're speaking the truth in love. So we're calling people up to a higher place in Christ. We're not calling people out on their stuff. We're not finding some religious, quasi-spiritual way of having a go at people. The Lord just showed me that you're an evil, obnoxious little rat, but I love you, brother. That's not speaking the truth in love. That's you moving in your own flesh. Here's the thing now. talking to a guy in uh, a church I was at recently, and we were just having coffee. And I said, so how are you doing? He just said, well, you know, I really hate myself. I can't think of anything good about me. So I said, okay, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, uh, which self are we talking about? Yeah. Which self are you listening to? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you were listening to your true self in Jesus, you wouldn't be using the word hate. And you would be able to think of half a dozen things you liked. Yeah? Because your new self acts according to Philippians 4, eight. Whatsoever is a good report. Yeah? Do you want me to read it to you? I'm so going to read it to you. Are yeah, ready <laughs> Whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise dwell on those things Yeah that's your new nature Yeah so I said to him, so you hate yourself, you can't think of anything good, which self are you listening to? Here's the thing, he's listening to his old nature. And he, stood, and he sat there and looked at me and he went, oh my God, I've been doing this for 20 years. I said, dude, that voice belongs to a corpse. You're listening to the dead. He said, well, so what do I do about that voice then? I said, you ignore it. You listen to the true voice. Do you want know what the voice of God sounds like? Sounds like this. The voice of God sounds like love, it sounds joyful, it's full of peace, it's full of patience, it's really kind, makes you feel good about yourself, it's faithful. Even if you know you're behaving like a plank, The Lord has a way of talking to you that really ties you into His ongoing commitment to you. It's a voice of gentleness. That's the voice of the Lord. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You know what God sounds like? He sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Because here's the thing about God. He has this weird thing about Him. That he doesn't want to ask you to be something that he is not already. Yeah? He's not a hypocrite. He says, this is how I want you to talk, because it's how I talk. Yeah? So I said to him, you need to ignore that old voice. You need to listen for the new voice, and this is what it sounds like. Recently I was in a church and they'd asked me to... Well, recently, last year or so, the, the leaders of the church... Because I've been going to this church for a while, so I'm kind of like a popper to the place. And, and they said, you know, we've got these couple of women who are all, have been at loggerheads for months and we can't do anything. So we want you to talk to them because if you can't do anything, we're going to shoot them and FedEx them to Jesus. <coughs> so, So... You're the last resort. <laughs> so <clears throat> they had both been mutually offending each other and offended by each other for months. So I got them in the room, and uh, so I'm thinking, Lord, where do we start? So I said to these, to these girls, I said, "Okay, we're going to start with you. You have five minutes." To tell me why you're offended, and I'm going to time you, and then you get five minutes to tell me. So, first one. I mean, she rattles off stuff like you know, it's it's there. She just presses play on her memory banks, and all this stuff comes out. You know, so five minutes, okay? Bang, stop. Now you. And here's the thing, you know, um, when they both had their say. I had to say to them both, so um, which part of your nature are we dealing with right now? Which part of you is offended? Is it your new nature or is it your old nature? Here's the thing, if I say something to you in the best way I can and your flesh gets offended, is that my responsibility? So I shouldn't have to apologize to you there. But maybe you should apologize to me, because you chose to receive it in the flesh. Come on. This is where, this is where the wobber hits the woad. Right here. So here's the thing. So... I said, you know, both of you, right now, you've both been operating out of your flesh that God says is dead. Here's the thing, you know, so the first one would say, well, she makes me so angry. I said, sweetie, nobody makes you angry. You chose that all by yourself. You could have been loving. You could have been kind you could have been generous you could have been merciful you could have been gracious you could have been faithful but no you chose to get angry at least have the decency to take responsibility for your own choice nobody makes you angry you choose it all by yourself. And here's the thing. If you are constantly getting angry, what that means is God is bringing people into your life and these people could be saints. And you're getting angry because anger is in you and it's coming out all the time. So Your old nature is dead and you have no excuse You have no excuse You have no reason for Behaving like that other than you made a choice to, And you know what maturity is? Facing up to that and saying, "Yeah, I know." Maturity is when you can say, "That's me. that's what I've been doing." And the Bible says. You need to lay aside your old self. So here's the thing with these two girls. I said, you know, you're both as bad as each other. You both need to apologize to each other. Because you said something in the flesh. You chose to receive it in the flesh and bite back. Then you chose to receive that in your flesh and bite back. And all you've been doing is stabbing each other ever since. And at the same point in time, you are treading underfoot the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when you allow your flesh to live, you are demeaning the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. You're making it of no effect. You're saying it has no meaning for me. My anger is more important. I know (laughs) this is like eating a rat sandwich but we can put some mustard on it or ketchup or barbecue sauce do you understand here's the thing do you understand the paradox here Your old nature is a finished work, but you keep bringing it back. And all the time you allow it to come back, you are not getting on with the ongoing work of developing who you really are in Jesus. If you want to grow and grow quickly, can we just leave the old nature in the ground? The whole point of pastoral ministry is that we, le- we let the dead lie. We're not dealing with our old self. The whole point of pastoral ministry is to deal with the new self, your true self. Everything that's in your life right now is about you establishing your real identity in Christ. Christ. This is the good news, right? That the good news is, if you are in Christ, so are your circumstances. Right? Because you cannot be separated from God, Romans 8. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Big fat no. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And even gives you a list. If you're in Christ, so are your circumstances. Because He will not be separated from your problems. He will not be separated from your journey. He will not be separated from your struggle. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He loves Dealing with your flesh because he likes being your deliverer. You know, the flesh and the spirit, they're at enmity. They're like two cats in a bag, they're so going to fight. Listen, when you see the flesh rising up in a church, it proves the presence of the Holy Spirit. all those churches that say, well we don't have any problems, they normally don't have the Holy Spirit either. But, they have a really lumpy carpet down the front, because they keep sweeping things under it. They don't don't deal with stuff, they just don't talk about it, it's just sweeping under the carpet, we don't talk about that. flesh in our church? Never! We don't have any... Oh, I just tripped over something. We don't have any flesh. When the Holy Spirit connects with a person's life, He starts to separate you from your carnality. And He does that by telling you who you really are. You don't have to do this, because this is who you are. This is dead. Do you realize this is dead? But this is what you're really alive to. And He wants to show you all that you're alive to because it contains all the possibilities of God. All things are possible, Jesus said. You just have to believe. And He said it like, you just, all you've got to do is believe. It's like simple. Just believe. Believing is easy. We are actually believers. So could we start believing something? Could you start by believing that your old nature is dead? That would be brilliant, your husband will be eternally grateful, and your wife will build a church in your honor. And your angel could finally take a week off. I have this recurring vision of all the angels around the throne, and they've all got like Christian baseball cards, so they've got all these cards with the faces of believers on them, and, and they're like saying, Can, "What have you got? I've got a Graham Cook, who wants a Graham Cook? It's like, he's doing my head in. So, has anyone got a Bill Johnson? I want a Bill Johnson. I'm not, I'm not giving my Bill Johnson up for Graham Cook, are you mad? And in another part of heaven, they've all got these like denominational baseball cards. Well, I'll swap you 14 Presbyterians and a Baptist. And <clears throat> can, I have three, can I have three Catholics and a Pentecostal? <clears throat> because they're all going mad. Because it's like, how on earth... When are these people ever going to allow themselves to be separated from their flesh? It's dead for goodness sake. We're all in heaven rejoicing and the Holy Spirit is on earth groaning because He has to live with us. Beloved, it is time for us to focus on our true self, on our real nature. When God looks at you, He doesn't see what's wrong with you, He puts you into Jesus for goodness sake. He looks at you through the lens of Jesus, and Jesus has always been brilliant. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, right? So the Father puts you into Christ. So he can say about you, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? So the Bible says in Ephesians 1:6, you are accepted in the beloved. You've got an identity in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is Lord inside the church and His specific job, the ongoing work of God, is to deal with your new self, your true self, your real nature, your Christ-likeness. You don't become a new person by changing your behavior. You discover the person you already are in Christ and you behave accordingly. You have all the patience you're going to need. It just needs to be activated. You need to be confessing who you are. I am a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Everything's become new and all things are of God. This is who we are. We have, at some point, we have to grow up in Christ in all things. That means we have to lay aside. God never says, Well, let's deal with this. He says, No, you lay it aside because it's already been dealt with. Jesus dealt with it. It's a finished work. You're finished. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're finished. You are so finished. You're dead. You are so dead. You are so dead. The Bible says, Make no provision for the flesh. You're dead. in a corner of heaven there's a cemetery plot and you've got your own piece of territory it's got a headstone above it it's got your name the date you were born and the date you got saved because that's the day you died and underneath it just says R.I.P. rest in peace the Holy Spirit is dealing with your new nature he's establishing the love of God in you as a reality he's establishing the peace of God so he intends to take you to a place where it's utterly impossible for you to worry be anxious or fearful he's going to give you peace The Prince of Peace is showing up and he's never going to leave Yeah, so he's taking you to a place where you are always joyful about everything, because in the presence of the Lord, there is everlasting joy. Joy is who he is. Rejoicing is our response to who he is. So God is happy about everything, He's joyful about everything, so joyful in fact, He says to you, no matter what's occurring in your life, count it all as joy. Count it all as joy. Why? Because I'll give you a joyful way of thinking about it, I'll give you a joyful way of being with it, I'll give you a joyful way of overcoming it, count it as joy. In other words, don't get depressed, don't get fed up, no time for frustration, all of those things you're dead to, now you're alive to God, which means you have to learn to be as happy as He is. He's the one who says, in the world, you'll have tribulation. Hey, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome. Every time God speaks to you, He makes you feel happy. John fifteen eleven. These words I've spoken to you so that my joy could be in you. And your joy? Full. We're learning to live in the nature of God. He's the happiest person I know. He has the, most, the sunniest disposition of anybody you're ever going to meet. He's peaceful, He's loving, He's kind, He's generous, He's wonderful to be with, He makes you feel good about yourself, even when He's changing you. There are times when God will rebuke you, and you won't realize it until a couple of days later. Because you felt so good about yourself, you're thinking, this is brilliant. And then two days later, suddenly it's like, I think you told me off on Tuesday. And he says, yeah, I did pretty good, huh? But I don't get it. I mean, you told me off, but I felt good about myself. And the Lord says, I know. It's my specialty. I'm so incredibly Kind so that you just you didn't realize I spanked your hiney until two days later. See, that's love. Here's the thing about love love doesn't recognize when somebody else does it wrong. That's an owie right there. Yeah, sometimes we're so quick. To feel insulted. Who does that? Your flesh does that. Your true self doesn't recognize. 1 Corinthians 13. Your true self wouldn't recognize it. Your old self is almost looking for it. Yeah? We're learning how to walk in our new nature. Our real self in Jesus here's the thing if we will agree with God that our old nature is dead consider ourselves dead and alive to God then we are alive to all the possibilities of what the Holy Spirit is doing if you're in Christ so is every situation you're currently involved with so is every relationship that you're involved with whether it's with it's with a christian or a pre-christian is irrelevant it's a relationship around your life and so if god's involved in you he's involved in that relationship too so he's going to give you wisdom he's going to give you grace He's going to give you mercy. He's going to give you kindness. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you gentleness. He's going to give you kindness. So that, not just so that you can survive the bad stuff, but so that you could overwhelm their flesh with your goodness. The Bible says that we overcome evil with good. You think that's true? Really? I mean, you really believe that stuff? Some of you are not quite so sure. Who believes that we overcome evil with good? At least half of us. The other half of us will be having an evangelistic rally straight after this meeting. So here's the thing then. If it's really true that we overcome evil with good, what if we can only be challenged by goodness? What if when anything difficult happens to us, what if actually we're being challenged by the goodness of God, not by the enemy? Because the enemy is a created being, right? Right? He was created to serve God, right? Nothing's changed. (laughs) Nothing has changed. Just because he fell from heaven, he can't change his DNA. Here's the thing about the enemy. He's so deluded, he thinks he is God. He thinks he has real power. But Romans 9 says different. Romans 9 says, for this, perso- for this purpose I raised you up that I might show my power in you, that I might demonstrate my power in you. What if the enemy is around our lives so that God, so that God can demonstrate his power? What if you're only really challenged by goodness? The Lord is saying, Now the enemy, he works for me. He doesn't realize it. But I send him out on covert stuff. He's so stupid, he doesn't even know what covert means. (laughs) But he works for me. He's a created being. Nothing has changed. I'm still Lord. Yeah? What if the biggest problem in America... It's not drugs, it's not crime, it's not poverty, it's not terrorism, it's not unemployment, it's not stupid bankers, it's not weird government people. What if the biggest problem in America is simply the lack of goodness? What if the real problem in America is that the church doesn't really understand who she is? And she's so busy being angry and railing against sin, which is not her job, and bringing down judgment on people left and right, which is not her job. That she's so busy being focused on the flesh and the negative in the world that she's not actually doing her job properly, which is to bring the goodness of God into the earth. Because people repent because the goodness because of the goodness and the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Oh, but we're so busy being angry and consigning people to hell while they're still alive. That's not our job. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, but he's only judging the demonic. Read John 16. The role of the Holy Spirit is to say to the world, the prince of this world has been judged on your behalf. The only people we're judging is the demonic. We get to cast out devils. We get to evict them from people's lives and situations and towns and cities. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities and powers. We're fighting the things behind people, not the people themselves. And we are ambassadors of reconciliation. That is our role in the earth. What are we doing? We are operating out of our true nature, our real nature in Christ. And we're going to people and we're saying, this is what Jesus is really like. People want to know what's God like. And here's Jesus. You know, he is a man. He's not God pretending to be a man he was a man right he's a son of God son of man and so when he said tell us what's the father like and he said he's like me what if there is a point in your life when you can say that and you know that it's mostly true he's like me or maybe a better way to say it is well I'm like him, but in kind of a microcosm. <laughs> in a small way, he's a little bit like me. I'm learning to be a lot like him. You're in Christ, and you're learning to be Christ-like. Your life is a paradox. It's a finished part of your life, and there is a continuing, ongoing work in your life. The finished part is that you are so dead, I can smell you from here. (laughs) You are so dead. (laughs) But there's another part of your life, that's an ongoing work of grace. You're in Christ, you're learning to be Christ-like. When God looks at you, He doesn't see anything wrong with you. He sees what's missing. From your current experience of Him, And he's totally committed to giving you that experience. Yeah? Absolutely committed. So committed, he gave you a personal helper. Called the Holy Spirit. And on days when you really mess up, your helper becomes your comforter. Which is exceedingly helpful. Because then you don't have to be condemned, you can be kissed instead which is a lot nicer, I think. <laughs> and the key to this whole thing, abide in. You abide in me, and I'll abide in you. If you abide in me, you can ask for whatever you will. And I'll do it. Whoa. What? Really? Isn't that, aren't you taking a bit of a risk? No, because your old nature is dead. Your new nature can have anything it wants. Your new nature lives under the favor of God. Why? Because God will relate to your new nature the way he relates to Jesus. So you have favor in your life, in your new nature. You have the right and the power to be blessed in your new nature. God will give anything to your new nature. Your old nature can only receive measure. Your new nature can receive abundance and fullness. God is absolutely 100% committed to your new nature in Jesus. One of the reasons why He killed you off and buried you is so that there will be nothing in the way between you and His goodness. There will be nothing in the way between you and the favor of God. There would be nothing in the way between you and blessing. There would be nothing in the way from you getting your needs met. And more importantly, nothing in the way between you and your inheritance. But he says in your new nature... You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I think that means you have a double portion. So you get what Jesus has and you get what the Father wants to give you. Yeah? Listen, under normal circumstances, you only get your inheritance when someone dies. Right? Right? you get your inheritance because Jesus died and you actually receive it when you die so isn't it time we were all dead it's time eh it's time we stop messing around in the shallow end of Christianity it's time we went into a deep place It's time we stopped walking backwards and started to run forwards. It's time that we really started to grow up. It's time we've got to stop walking around the world like a bunch of hobbits. And start to become giants instead. What if you're more beautiful than you imagine? And you're more powerful than you think? Right now, the Father's looking at you like he looks at Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is committed to empowering you to become like the Son. Exactly. She's just saying, I can't wait to get started. <clears throat> there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to grow up in all things in Christ. It's time, beloved. Here's the thing. God sees you in Christ. He sees all your circumstances as being in Christ. Therefore, every circumstance you're in is to empower you to become like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to take every circumstance, every situation... And actually use it to make you more Christ-like. You know when life comes right at us. And we have issues and problems and adversities and stuff that come right here. And they're always there. They're always like problems. And the world tells us, well, you've got to solve those problems. But here's the thing in the kingdom. The thing that's right there saying, look at me, look at me. That's never the issue. There's an issue behind that which is, who are you in Jesus? Every single thing in your life, good, bad, or ugly. Every person in your life, good, bad, or ugly. Every single issue and circumstance and situation in your life is about one thing and one thing only. It is about you developing your relationship with God. Every single thing is relational first. Everything is about you and Jesus together. Everything. 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 Some people are so obnoxious, they'll teach you grace. They're a grace grower. They help you to grow in grace. Better the grace grower you know than the one you've yet to meet. You might not want to reject this current grace grower because the next one might be even more evil. You never know. Now, the fruit of the Spirit only grows in bad soil. The fruit of the Spirit only grows in bad soil. It grows in the soil of a situation, like kindness. How does kindness grow? It grows in the soil of a situation where somebody says something really unkind to you. And if you operate in the flesh, you're going to bite back and say, well, I know something about you, pal. And then you've just blown it. You may as well put a sign up saying, please excuse me. I'm having a carnal moment. And when somebody says something unkind and you respond in your true nature and you say something kind back to them, you are so the winner. You just kicked butt right there. You just messed with the enemy's head right there. Fruit of the Spirit grows in bad soil. When you're fearful what can you expect perfect love perfect love casts out fear he who fears is not made perfect in love so what can you expect from God some pretty decent loving yeah the joy of the Lord is your so when you're feeling weak you should rejoice Common sense, huh? See, your, old, your new nature knows all that stuff. Your old nature hasn't figured it out because it's too busy throwing a pity party. <laughs> Woe is me. Poor old me. If you have my life, you'd be depressed as well. Every single thing in your life is relational between you and God. So here's the question, when something really awful happens, something really difficult happens, the question is, Lord, what do you want to for be for, to me now? What is it that you want to be for me now? I'm walking down a corridor in church and I come through double doors at one end and I'm walking down. The double doors open at the other end. And there's a woman comes walking down and I'm late for a meeting. And you get this kind of charge in the atmosphere like, you know, you don't want to walk past her and not look at her and acknowledge her. But you have a sense of impending doom that if you say anything, you're going to be there for 40 minutes. <laughs> it's one of those supercharged corridor moments, you know. And, um, and so... I looked at her and I, out of my mouth I just said, how's it, how's it going? And she stopped and she said, I went to the doctor's yesterday, I've just been diagnosed as having cancer, I've got six months to live. And, it's, you, know, and you can't actually just say, well, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she looked at me and she's this absolute despair in her eyes because she's got young kids. And she's up to me and she says, you're a prophet, will I live or die? (laughs) I said, sweetie, I don't do births, marriages or deaths. (laughs) But here's a question. Here's a question you may want to ask. Lord, what is it you want to be for me now that I've got cancer? What is it that you want to be for me? See, everything is relational. And the answer to every situation is not the resolution of the problem. It's you discovering what God wants to be for you. The answer is relational. Lord, what is it you want to be for me? Because when you know what God wants to be for you, you know how to live in that circumstance. So I said, let me pray for you. So I laid hands on her and I prayed that she would discover who God was for her and a couple of days later I went on tour for a few weeks and I came back and I was in uh, the coffee shop in, uh, in the church building and she walks in and I'm sat down and she walks in, she looks at me, she goes, gets a coffee, she comes and sits down and she said, I got my answer, so I said, oh yeah, so what did the Lord say? She said, he said to me, I am the Lord who heals you. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, she, she says, I still have to go do all the treatment. But she has this peace in her eyes. And I looked at her and I said, honey, you don't need chemo. Let me pray for you. You got a word. So, in the name of Jesus we got a bunch of people around her, and that's all we prayed. Lord, you said. Lord, you said. We prayed of our new nature, not our old one. Our old one would pray out of fear. Our new nature prays out of an understanding of who God is for us. Yeah? So a bunch of people laid hands on her every day for several weeks, and all we prayed was, Lord, you said you were her healer. So in Jesus' name, we hold you true to your word like we know you love to do and she never did do chemo, she never did do it. We said, they had a date for her to go, she kept putting it off and eventually they said, you've got to come in, it's urgent. She said, okay, but I want some tests done first. They said, we've done the tests." She said, yeah, but they were a while ago, do them again or I'm not doing chemo. They did them again, there was nothing in her system. Here's the issue, here's the thing. It was her relationship with God that was a deciding factor. Every single thing in your life is about you discovering who God is for you and who you are in Him. Here's the issue in every circumstance. It's always about your identity. Everything is about identity. Who are you in Jesus? Every single thing in your life is an identity issue. And what's your real identity is who you are in Jesus. Your old nature is dead, but your new nature is alive to God. It's alive to all the possibilities. So your identity is being formed in every single situation that you face. Therefore... We are joyful in all things because we count them joyfully because this is about me and God growing up together. This is about me becoming like Jesus. This is about me experiencing my new self, my true self, my real self in Jesus. My old nature, I'm laying that aside. I'm putting on the new stuff. And every single situation, it's about your relationship with God. And then it's about you putting that on and embracing it and becoming it. And when that becomes your lifestyle, everything makes you grow. Everything makes you bigger, better, and stronger. Everything works for you. Everything works together for your good. Everything, everything, everything. And you overcome everything against you by the goodness that is pouring out of you from your new nature in partnership with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a Christian. Anything else is substandard religious nonsense. And we are not those people. We are not those people. Everything in God is tangible, it's real, it can be felt, it can be experienced. Everything, every reality in Christ has to be tangible. How would you feel if I said to you, Nabir, I want to take you for an intangible meal. We'll go to a great restaurant, we'll order a great food, but you won't be able to taste it. You'd be going, Thanks, dude, but I think I'll just get a big Mac. God is not a concept. He's not an idea. He's not a methodology. He's an experience. When the Bible talks about knowledge, it talks about about experience. You cannot have a knowledge of God without an experience of Him. Without an encounter with Him. You can't know God in your head. You can't hear God in your head because He doesn't talk to your head. He talks to your heart. And this whole idea that we get knowledge in our head and we're waiting for it to make the 18-inch drop into our heart. What a crock! What absolute claptrap. God has never spoken to your head. He doesn't speak to a piece of wood. He doesn't speak to your head. He speaks to your heart. The Bible says that the eyes of your heart being enlightened. That you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. God speaks into your heart. And then what comes up into your heart? It comes up and it explodes into your conscious thinking. Yeah? God speaks to your heart because He wants you to have an encounter and an experience of Him. He wants to be tangible and real just like this. Just like that. That real. He wants to be real. When you get a touch from God, you're not sat there metaphysically trying to re- imagine what that feels like. You know. Some people in renewal, you know, God touched some people in renewal and they were all over the place like an octopus on crack. You, whoa! You know when God touches you and if you're an introvert, you know it ten times more. (laughs) Hey listen, When, when the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they walked with Jesus but they didn't know it was Him, what was their testimony? Our heart was strangely warmed. I was having hot flashes. I knew it was Je- I had a hot flash. I knew it was Jesus. Well, I do now. You know when God touches you. Yeah? Like you know the kiss of your grandchild. You know when God touches you. It's a tangible... Reality from a God who is affectionate and loves to be close. He calls you His children. He calls you His sons because He's affectionate, because He loves to touch us, because He loves to be with us, and He makes every issue in our life relational. Oh yeah, He does. You are so beloved of God. And here's the thing it doesn't matter to him right now if you're messing up. He's still got plans for you. It's not like you're going to escape being loved. Where are you going to go? Read Psalm 139. Where are you going to go? If you go and do a Captain Nemo and live on the ocean floor, he's still going to show up for coffee. If you get in... If you get in uh, on the next space shuttle and go into space, he's going to be standing on the moon waving at you as you go past. You can't escape him. He's everywhere. Uh-oh. We're in trouble now. <laughs> Okay, Lord, let's try and land this plane. (laughs) Everything, everything in your life is about you and God and what he wants to be for you. He is so invested in you. He actually allows you to have an investment in Him. He calls it an inheritance. There are unclaimed upgrades all over this room. Unclaimed upgrades all over this room. Some of you have got so many upgrades stacked above your head, He's having to rent storage space in heaven. There are things that are supposed to come to you, but here's the thing, they're coming to your new nature in Jesus. Some of those things can't come to your old nature. God is so gracious, He'll bless you even if you're being carnal. But the blessing is a measure of blessing, it's not the fullness that He really wants to give you. This, The issue here really is the whole earth, the whole of creation is longing to see the appearance of the true sons of God. People living in their new nature, their true nature, their real self. People who can call down blessing, not judgment. When James and John were offended at something and wanted to call down uh, judgment on the on a, on a town because of what they did to Jesus, Jesus looked at them and said, what? You don't even know what spirit you are. This is the new covenant. We don't do that stuff. Everything. You know, things that God has wanted to do for you, for a long time can now come to you because of tonight. Because tonight, beloved, is our wake-up call. Tonight the Lord is saying to you, awake, arise out of your slumber and pick up again the goodness of God. Understand who you really, really are and learn to rejoice this is your moment this is your hour this is your time this is the day of the Lord for you this is the day this day right here right now is as important to you as the day you got saved this is the day you woke up this is the day you woke up and you realized who you really are it's your old nature is dead. You don't have to deal with it. You only have to deal with your new nature. And everything that God is doing is to establish who you really always have been in His eyes. This is your moment. This, right now, right here, we are making history. Right now, right here. This is the moment when our lives get to turn around this is our time this is our moment when we throw off the shackles of religion Ah! we we throw off the shackles of our old nature and our problems and our past and our history and we can say I'm done with all of that this is who I am and I'm going to learn to be this it might take me a few weeks or a few months but I'm going to enjoy the learning This is my day, this is my time, this is my moment. I was coming back from, uh, uh, Teresa and I were coming back from Australia to America, and we've flown from Sydney, we're flying into San Francisco. And You know those moments on long international flights, 16-hour flight, and and you're kind of like 9 or 10, 11 hours into it, and um, the only light on in the cabin is yours, everybody else is asleep. And you're hearing them, <laughs> and and it's still, and you're reading, and then suddenly the pilot's voice comes over, and he says, "Well, we just crossed the international date line, so whether you like it or not, this is a brand new day." And I'm sat there, and I'm thinking, I didn't know God flew for Qantas. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, people, this is a brand new day. This is a new day. This is the day that changes everything. Today. Today, while it's still cold today, don't harden, don't harden your heart. This is the moment when you need to face up to who you really are. And you're not the person that you've always thought of. You're not the person that everybody has always reminded you about. You're a whole new creation. All the old has passed away. Everything's become new and all things are of God. You are a new creation in Christ. It is time that we only focused on the real you, the true you. The new year. Let's pray. Why don't we stand up and assume the position. Okay, hands out. <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. Let's just be still. I want you in your heart right now just to come before the throne of grace with confidence. That you can say to the Lord, I am. Oh my goodness, I am. I really am a new creation. Thank you, Father, that my old nature is dead. I don't have a sin nature. I have habits that I want to get rid of. And now I'm going to do that with your help. Thank thank you that I have a new nature. And you are focused on that nature. All the time. Every single situation I have is enabling me to abide, in that new to abide in that new nature. Thank you that I'm discovering your character. Thank you that I'm discovering your character. And I'm embracing, that in my own life. I'm embracing that in my own life. So Lord, I agree with you. Lord, I, agree with you. I am dead. And my life is hid hid with Christ in God. God. It's no longer I that live. It's It's Christ who lives in me. me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God
1: God.
0: who who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Once you give somebody a hug and say, you look really new to me.